Does the law really work the way TV and movies depict? Let's discuss with Christine and Christine. Hello, everybody. I am Christine Mattis. Welcome. We're the third season of our podcast. Let's discuss law and pop culture. And, you know, this is our podcast where we talk about movies and celebrity cases that deal with estate planning matters. And we really ask that question, does this really happen? And I'm so happy to be joined by my co-host. Christine Karen Zahakurski. Yay, Hi, everyone. Hi, Chris. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we were just, uh, before we got on, listeners, we were just chatting about car woes. And, uh, you know, what's interesting is that a friend of mine uh, was looking for a car for his daughter because she's uh, turning 18. And they did say that the waiting list, I think it's because of that chip. It's like six cool. months or out to get a to get a new car. It's just so interesting about that, you know, like th- this little little thing can hold yeah. back big purchases like that. I, I just find it fascinating uh, to me. Oh my gosh, I know. And I mean, you know, we do, we're, we're not, we don't make cars. I've never been part of like any kind of assembly line, but it's like all these pieces are coming from all over the world. Yes, a lot of it is from, you know, Asia and stuff, but it makes such an impact on the economy. And yeah. I guess I, I think you're an economics major, Chris. You know how these things work. <laughs> uh, yeah, simply a demand <laughs> and supply. Okay, that's it. Next chapter. <laughs> anyway, that, that said, speaking of economics, right? I know. And, you know, last uh, night was Halloween. Uh, yeah. So uh, I was surprised that we did not get any trick-or-treaters. Um, but one of the things that a lot of people may not know, so we are, you know, our main office is in Tom's River, New Jersey, and Tom's River hosts um, a Halloween parade for the for uh, for decades now. And uh, apparently it is the second largest parade in the world, according wow. to Guinness World Records, right here in Tom's River. And, oh, my and God, who knew? Second oh largest God, in the world. And, and, yet and I, I guess the first largest is New York? I, that's what I'm guessing. I'm guessing. And yet, uh, I've only been to one. So, <laughs> anyway, I, hear you. so I hope everyone had a great, you know, Halloween, if, if that's something you do or anything like that. So I thought that was kind of, kind of a fun thing. We had a couple of people in the office go to the parade. Um, but I, uh, I did not. I did not go Chris, you know, but yeah, Tom's river, that's our claim to fame. That's a big deal. Oh, wow. Biggest Halloween, oh my goodness. Long out of things, that's right. It, um, it is, it is. And going okay. to that, and since we're on that topic, there were lots of kids dressed up in all these different characters, right? And everything. So that's you know, right. That's right. Halloween and all. And that's going to be the topic of our podcast today. We're actually going to be talking about the movie Lilo and Stitch. And we're looking at that movie from the point of view of guardianship. Right, Chris? Yep, yep. That's a big deal. That's a big topic. And although it's a kids movie, it actually touches on a very this very important topic that who um, about who would what would happen to your children? Who would be taking care of them if you died without a will, without an estate plan? So we're going to talk about this movie, not looking at the alien perspective. So those people who who do know the movie, this is about you know Stitch the the uh, alien coming in and um, 
you know, uh, kind of wreaking havoc and, you know, making it very difficult for um, Lilo's older sister to actually not need to take care of her, to take care of Lilo. But really what happened here let's just talk about that really quickly so in the beginning nani and lilo live in Kauai, my favorite island i've um, never been to hawaii nope but with your enthusiasm and your energy it must be beautiful it, it's beautiful Kauai is beautiful but anyhow um okay so they're sisters they recently lost their parents in a car accident, right? And so that means Nani, who actually is an adult in the movie, even though technically is a teenager, um, she, you know, somehow became the guardian for Lilo, who is a minor. Um, she was an adult at the time, so technically she could be. Um, but of course, that's kind of difficult, right? How many 18-year-olds now can really take care of their minor, you know, siblings? Anyhow, yeah. point being, this is what happens in the movie, and this is what happens in a lot of movies. Um, so as the parents died without a will, so there's no documentation as to who can be really in charge. But the authorities, right, you know, say that, well, Nani's here. Um, she can be the guardian of Lilo. There's a social worker involved named Cora Bubbles who, who's concerned about whether or not Nani can really adequately take care of Lilo. Um, and you know, this is usually what happens when you don't have anybody named. But even if you do have somebody named, if it's somebody, somebody young, you know, DIFIS or, you know, no longer called DIFIS, but, you know, so um, children's services, you know, those type of agencies will get involved to make sure that child, that minor child is really being taken care of. Um, so what happens in the movie? There are certain things that happen wherein um, uh, because of Stitch, this alien that comes into to Earth, kind of causes a little bit of havoc, right? Gets Lilo in trouble with school. Gets Lilo in trouble in a way with Nani. And then not knowing that there's this, you know, there's this alien, um, and all these things are happening in the movie where it looks like Nani is not being a very good guardian to her young child, you know, young sibling Lilo. It becomes an issue as to whether she was even competent to continue as guardian. Um, but in the end, everything worked out pretty nicely. So, I mean, you know, wrapping up to that, to really that part of it, um, what are the things that we really have to consider when we are naming uh, guardians for our minor children? You know, what can we do to prevent this kind of situation? I mean, I could go into the movie, but I think the most important part really that we have to come away from this movie is we really need to think about those people who are best suited to take care of our children. And it's actually one of my favorite topics because I myself have one child and one child who is 13 right now but at, during the time that she was younger there were other people more suited to be her guardian now she's a little bit older she's going to have a bit of a say she can have she can have an attitude that's another story but you know things change and it's so fluid these estate planning documents that we talk about a will power of attorney we've talked about this numerous times in our different podcasts and one thing that's really important in those documents is naming who's going to take care of your children. And I think and that's a great, that, great point, Chris, that you're saying that they're mm -hmm. fluid because, you know, the documents, I think what we have to always remember, they're living documents. So they should change when we change. You know, life is not mm -hmm. static, you know, mm -hmm. uh, but I would love it. I would love it, you know, because you do, it's, you know, it does take work to put these together. And, you Absolutely. know, it's nice to think about once it's done, that's it. 
uh, you know, I'm yep. going to put it away and then we'll just take it out when we need it. But it, it doesn't work that way. An effective plan really has to be updated. But then and that's like anything, right? I mean, right, you go to the dentist, you're outgrowing your baby teeth. And now we have to go into an adult situation, adult teeth. You know, I'd love it to keep it those teeth forever. And the same thing with your plan. You know, it, it, right. we outgrow it sometimes. We really do. So, yeah. but yeah, when you have guardians, um, it's number one, important to have it, right? Just got to have it when you have minor right. kids, but revisit Absolutely. it. You know, how many times, Chris, have we had situations where people realize the guardians, they wanted, you know, talk to these people anymore, or the people moved, right. or exactly. they got old or, or they died, you know, and, and oh then you got to update it, you know, and if you don't do that, well, we're going to have a problem, you know, we're going to have and a big know, problem. And even worse is like when not I mean, what if they decide they don't want to it, oh. don't want to do it, and you've only named one set. Somebody's really sick, and then the other one really can't handle it. You know what happens at that point, Chris? Right? Yeah. So now yeah. it becomes an issue. You haven't, but you went through all the trouble of preparing your, you know, your will, your estate plan. Something happens to you, and the people you appoint actually don't really want to have that responsibility yeah. and decline. So that's even that that's even worse. It's almost yeah. like a you know, but yeah, but number one, have a will so you can designate people mm -hmm. who can step in. But then, you know, like the big thing that like you said, Chris, talk to them. Make sure they're right. open to it. Um it's probably the subject of another podcast, but I remember a movie yes. where these people are surprised. <laughs> they're like, I'm a guardian. You know, and you want to really be cognizant of who you're choosing. Because mm -hmm. I remember a family that came in and the most ideal person to be a guardian was my client, our client's sister. But uh -huh. the more we spoke, we realized that sister already has five kids. My client had four. So God forbid something happens to two of them. Her sister's going to have nine kids. I mean, let's just have to be practical about this. And that was a revelation to say, oh, my gosh, I, I don't know if that's possible. And you don't want to split up the kids. You know, so what do you do? You know, it's possible for someone to have nine kids, but it's possible that they can't handle it either. You really got to plan. Right. So you got to talk. You got to plan. Right. But think of all those yeah. things and where, you know, I'll have clients, you and I um, deal with a lot of clientele with people in the Philippines and other countries. And when they say, oh, and something happens, my brother will be the guardian. Okay, great. Where's your brother live in the Philippines? Oh, hmm. so are, is he going to move here? Are the kids going to move to the Philippines? Is you know, think it through, think it through. And the answer could very well be yes, or it could be like, oh, uh -huh. that's going to be, that's going to be hard. Yeah. Yeah. So right. again, let's think it that we can't just be dropping names, uh, you know, because it <laughs> sounds right, you know, so, exactly. um, but you know, the nice thing is when you're planning early, you have options. Uh -huh. The worst is exactly. when we have people with declining health quickly, or we're running out of time for something and now we're just, we can't even think. And we're just picking out names and putting circumstances together that aren't ideal. And you hope and pray and you cross your fingers like, I don't know, I hope it works. I, I really don't even know. Oh, that's the worst. I have a stomach ache for my clients. I, I, I lose sleep for that. I don't want that. So start early. Really exactly. start yeah. early. But it was a fun movie. That's, I had not seen fun. it before. Oh. I had not seen, had not seen <laughs> that movie. Really. I hadn't seen that before, you know, as I dropped oh. um, But and yeah, I thought it was fun. We can talk anything Disney. We can actually uh, talk about estate planning in some in some sort of way. And the, like, and the right. And I was reading this article. Children, the, children. <laughs> the 
basic pattern of Disney, you know, somebody's parents died, one, two, gone, ortho, uh, orphans, you know, it's just so classic. Exactly. And, and they interviewed one of the head writers at one point, I forget what article, and they asked you know, why, why does this always happen? And they said, because it creates a natural tension and a good springboard for storytelling, pull at the heartstrings and drama. But, you mm-hmm. know, the problem is it's becoming so predictable, but, you know, I mean, yeah. really frozen. I mean, frozen, though, again, parents, oh, oh, spoiler again. alert, parents Sporting die. Children. Just letting you know, if you haven't watched Frozen yet. <laughs> <it's>, uh, anyway. <laughs> You've only seen it 5,000 times, right? Yes, I can, I'm surprised I'm not in the credits because of my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah but I, it was it was a good movie so hopefully that you know when you see that movie it'll remind you what to do and I think that brings us to our real life segment I always love you know this part of our podcast as well you know um where we talk about celebrities and news and where things have happened so uh everyone must be familiar with Kurt Cobain uh, the front man of the band Nirvana. And that was a popular band in the 90s. Uh, and I remember that I was in college at the time that really started getting uh, popular. Uh, and, you know. Don't date yourself, Chris. Don't date yourself. I know. Well, I want, but I want people to be like, really? She doesn't yeah. sound like that. <laughs> so Kurt Cobain, uh, you know, uh, and uh, you know the, the story about him, though, 1994, that is really when Nirvana was really, you know, they were still, they were at the top of their game. But sadly, mm-hmm. um, he was, um, he died um, by way of suicide, age 27. And he was mm-hmm. married and he had a very young child, um, no estate planning. Uh, and so as a result, you know, when someone dies without a will, we have to look into that state's intestacy laws. Um, and therefore, it, where he was, um, Kurt Cobain's widow, Courtney Love, uh, who was also a musician, um, was the um, going to be the inheritor. He was she was the, uh, the wife. Um, and what happened here was a lot of issues because of his um, assets he accumulated. Um, and again, his because of his music career, um, a lot of people who are celebrities do have um, special types of assets that we're not familiar that we don't usually have um, images, uh, their images, their publishing, their licensing rights, performance royalties, those come into play. And again, can you only imagine, you know, if you have estate planning, you're going to include all of those things as well. And now with no planning, not only do you have to deal with actual properties that we probably are familiar with, homes, cars, bank accounts, but now these other assets that can be very complicated. So it was um, an unfortunate situation. So in 1997, Courtney Love and the former members of Nirvana uh, formed an LLC to manage all of Nirvana-related projects. So I I thought that was cool. David Grohl, Chris uh, Nivalsetzelik, I thought that was pretty cool that they're able to do that. Um, And then they created a trust that was set up for Courtney Love and Kurt Cobain's daughter, Frances Bean Cobain. you know, again, we I haven't had privy to see the type of trust, Chris, that they're talking about. Some of it that comes to mind definitely would be a children's trust, um, maybe a support trust for Courtney. You know, these are types of trusts where funds can't be readily available directly um, because of whatever concerns there could be. Um, and also for certain goals like protecting of assets, protecting um, with tax consequences, 
and, and things like that. So apparently when he, um, uh, when we look at the estate of um, Kurt Cobain, it's estimated at 450 million when you include his images, his public uh, publicity rights and songs. Um, and they are producing a valuable stream of income for um, both Courtney Love and their daughter, Frances. In 2002, though, there was a lawsuit to dissolve the LLC that was created um, on the eve of the release of a 45-track record set of Nirvana that included rare recordings. Courtney Love filed a lawsuit. She wanted to dissolve the LLC, and she claimed that the 1997 agreement with um, those former members of uh, Nirvana needs to be voided uh, because she felt that they were only sidemen. Um, and I guess she's saying that they really didn't have the right to be included in this LLC. You know, again, without knowing all the facts, I thought that's interesting. So in 1997, they, they enter and create a new entity with people agreeing to certain images of Kurt Cobain. And then now you're saying you're including people who really had no say over it? I find that yeah. to yeah. me. It's like saying, you know what, I'm going to include my neighbor in my trust to have some decision making over certain assets. Oh, wait, but wait, my, my neighbor really shouldn't even be included in this. Because they yeah, never it's only like, I'm my neighbor. <laughs> I'm like, and yeah. I always think like, were there lawyers involved? This is crazy. Yeah. So interesting. Interesting. Can't comment on that without seeing it. So in addition, Courtney Love also discovered in 2004 that she felt that the people managing her husband's estate, uh, she's alleging they stole 30 million in cash and 500 million in real estate holdings. She then hired a lawyer who said they were gonna sue the ex-managers, assistants, other lawyers, accountants, and bankers. And her lawyer at even one time accused um, of everyone with such greed and moral tude that would make Bernie Madoff look warm and fuzzy. Interesting. Uh, and that lawsuit never came to be. So interesting. Very interesting. So Courtney Love says that the legal action had cost her $27 million and she ended up selling her share of 25% share of Nirvana's publishing rights in 2006 for $50 million and control of Cobain's image and licensing rights in exchange for a loan in 2009 from Francis Bean's trust. So you can see here where, you know, money is an issue. Money is always going to be an issue for no matter who you are, but especially when you're at this level of the playing field, when you're dealing with this many assets um, with no planning, we're piecemealing things together after the fact and hoping it fits. And then we're seeing here that perhaps it wasn't giving Courtney the best um, tool for her to accomplish what she needed to do um, and considering her, you know, her situation. So in 2003, Courtney Love suffered an overdose of painkillers. She lost guardianship of her daughter. Um, and so the daughter stayed with her paternal grandmother, Wendy O'Connor. And um, it did take two years, but finally Courtney did regain custody, which is good. But in 2009, at 17 years old, Frances went to court for a restraining order against her mother, which resulted in her grandmother obtaining guardianship and Frances' aunt Kimberly Don Cobain co-guardianship. So, you know, kind of feel sad, you know, when you hear that because 
you can see there's turmoil going on and unrest. And for a, I know it's 17, but you are still a child to go that distance, to go to court and to try to make things better um, and cutting ties and things like that is very emotionally trying, I can see. So allegedly her new guardians did not have power over the trust that was established for Francis after Nirvana Frontman's death. A year later, Courtney Cove, uh, Love, she stepped out as manager of the company that administers um, Kurt Cobain's publicity rights, including rights to his name and likeness. She even, you know, then gave away her role at the end of music. That was the name of the company in exchange for 2.75 million loan from her daughter's trust fund. Francis mm. then turns 18. Yeah, you know, you can see this. Then she turns 18 in August, 2010 and taking ownership of most or all of her trust fund. She and her mother were in a battle over a collection of Kurt Cobain's belongings, musical instrument, clothing and, and paintings of his. Um, however, rights to Nirvana's music seems to have nothing to do with either of them. Administrative rights for um, Kurt Cobain's songs are overseen by a company called Primary Wave Music and um, Primary Wave's Larry Mestel, who owns 50% of the publishing rights. Uh, you know, so when it comes to her father's image, however, um, Frances, uh, it shows that she is now in control of the publicity, uh, publicity rights name and image of her father, Kurt Cobain, and the rights earn her, you know, close to $100,000 um, per month for that. So again, here's a lucrative deal. Um, but as we can see, Chris, um, again, you know, no planning. Here's the issues. Um, but if they did do planning, obviously, I, you know, I would, I would think they would have at least a will. But yeah. I think there's other tools they could have been thinking about. Definitely, some sort of trust, right, Chris? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, the will, the trust—they're all really part of a plan, especially when you have somebody with these kind of assets. But, you know, going back to the whole idea of guardianship, too, I mean, typically you really can't take a parent right away. So, you know, it made sense that Courtney was going to be um, guardian of her child, uh, but she fell into, you know, back into her drug habit, and that's why she lost custody of her child. Um, you know, the thing is, you know, a lot of the things that uh, people don't, are not aware of, especially when it comes to the trust, Granted, somebody might be the trustee, the one who manages the money, but that doesn't mean that that, that trustee is also in charge of the child, because there is also a guardian of the child as opposed to the guardian of the assets of the child, right? Right. Um, right. And even and even so, that's that's another thing to also talk about. And when it comes to planning, that's something that could have been placed in the will, in 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 uh, in the language of the trust that's created for Francis. Who would be managing the money? Would it just be the mom who was, you know, he, you know, at that time? I'm sure that Kurt Cobain knew that his, you know, wife had drug problem. Would he have? Would he have named her in charge of assets? Probably not. Would he allow her to take a loan out from, you know, her, the daughter's, you know, trust? Probably not, knowing that there was some kind of issues, capacity issues that she might have because of her drug issues. So a lot of these kind of protections could have been put in place and more, you know, set forth a little bit better had you done some planning. And this applies to an estate of 500 million. 
Um, and even one that's, you know, 5,000, you know what I mean? 50,000. If there's a child involved, you need to have guardians. You need to name somebody in charge of the money. You need somebody in charge of that person's trust. Because not only is the guardian of the child itself, but there should be a guardian for that that child's money. But then there's also the trustee who manages the trust who should be different from the guardian of the kid's money. I personally feel that there should be a a number of people involved. I don't know, Chris. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, definitely. One person doing everything. I think it's ideal if they all get along and they communicate well and they all have the same goal, helping whatever, the child, helping the estate, things like that. Um, But I think the practicality of it sometimes is challenging because we do have a number of people who just don't have enough people they trust, enough people they know. Then we look to professionals and that could be costly because sometimes the estate just doesn't have the type of funds to keep a professional in place. So, you know, it is great though, but it's an option and you shouldn't cross it off because, you know, you'll be very surprised of what actually can be and it should be explored. Um, So I do think it's a big deal, uh, you know, what to do. But, you know, one of the last things I also think it's interesting is, um, you know, a lot of times people will say, well, how would Kurt Cobain know about planning ahead? He was 27. And I've always had that with people asking me, well, what's the soonest that someone could create a plan? Really, once you're an adult, you really should have it. Yes. 18, there's no shame in that. There's no weirdness uh-huh. about that um, because, you know, we start accumulating assets and it's nice to have something in place in case of that. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I just think, you know, it was an interesting tale when you see and it's eye-opening, um, but, you know, there are there's so many good tools out there to help families um, who are growing, who have this type of situation and or not, you know, but the whole idea yes. is to create options and, and to protect families. So I thought that was great. Well, everyone, thank you. Yeah, right. I just think it's just a good, good, good thing. Well, all right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, This was a great episode. Hopefully everyone learned a little something new. Um, And, you know, again, we would love to have you come back again for our next episode. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more, go to mattislaw.com.